Business Class is brought to you by the Tourism Academy, harnessing the power of science, business psychology, and adult education to advance the tourism industry and build sustainable economies. Learn how to engage your community, win over stakeholders, and get more visitors at tourismacademy.org. All right, Steve Ekstrom here with the Tourism Academy, tourismacademy.org and the Business Class Podcast. Today's guest, Don Welsh. I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Steve. Me as well. I uh, couldn't wait to to get this conversation started. Fantastic. So how did you get your start in this industry? You know, in a rather circuitous way. I, uh, in college, uh, and my whole vision, uh, I used to think I was going to be in the airline industry forever. I had the good fortune, uh, started out loading bags for United Airlines in Baltimore, where my brother was a, uh, a ramp supervisor. And that segued into an opportunity with United uh, when I got out of college in Chicago, where subsequently I met my wife, uh, who was a flight attendant for United, and 42 years later, uh, and a lot of moves. Uh, but it was the entrance of the airline industry that I think catapulted my my exposure to the tourism industry and travel and i got involved had a good fortune of moving to seattle and being one of the uh i guess founding partners a lot of sweat equity on uh, a company called horizon airlines and became uh pretty aware of the surroundings of the beautiful northwest and then to make a long story short i uh we sold the airline to alaska airlines which then allowed me to go to work uh, in the hotel business ironically Weston Hotels was based in Seattle, and I responded to a Wall Street Journal ad and got hired because of my airline experience, not my hotel experience. And uh, between Weston and Ritz-Carlton and MGM, I spent about almost 20 years uh, with major brands and um, sort of got into the uh, to the CBB business. And what I'm doing today through uh, a mutual friend I used to work with in Seattle who introduced me to the Seattle CBB. So it is a rather circuitous route and about... Uh, 20 different moves along the way, uh, uh, based on what I just told you. What similarities do you see between your role now in association management uh, and the work that you were doing before, you know, directly with destinations, directly with properties and, and, and whatnot? And clearly on the on the hotel side and the airline side, you've got great companies and had the good fortune of working for some great companies, uh, but they are for profit. And I, I think my first introduction working in Seattle, it, it was a real eye opener in terms of the responsibilities that go along with representing a destination. Um, you have the privilege and the honor to represent a city, uh, destination, state, whatever it may be. And um, it, it really, uh, you begin to understand what an honor it is. And along with that honor, there comes great responsibility to make sure that you were building a brand that is representative of the people that live in that community and work in that community. And then you also understand that your investment, rather than going to shareholders, your investment goes back into your business to be better at what you do. So it was probably a good two or three year learning curve when I first started in Seattle. I was there five years and then went on to Indianapolis for two and a half years in Chicago for five. And I think every one of those destinations, uh, you just realize that uh, if you have the privilege of working for a city where you live and you know you, your families are there, there comes uh, some additional responsibility and, and uh, honor in representing those destinations. What do you think is the greatest misconception about your work that people have? 
That's a, that's a great question, Steve. I think one of the biggest things that was exposed during the pandemic, you know, we had about a decade of uh, incredible performance. Hotels were full, convention centers were full. You couldn't get an airplane seat. We saw 10% rev par increases every year, and we thought that was normal. And when the pandemic happened, it was an abrupt stop. And I believe up until then, probably around the world, you could have you could have assumed that most people in the community or elected leaders thought those things happened magically. The cities filled themselves perfectly and a 50,000 person convention would come by themselves. And I, and I think it exposed there, there are organizations uh, in every one of these cities and, and countries around the world, that's all they do. They wake up every day figuring out how they're gonna market their city, how they're gonna sell their city, and be responsible to the stakeholders in that community. So I, I believe that you know there weren't many uh, positives that came out of the pandemic, but one of the positives that we continue to see is there's a clear understanding now of what destination organizations do, convention bureaus for their communities that probably prior to the pandemic uh, wasn't necessarily as known as it is today. So um, that is probably the biggest silver lining that people do know now that things don't happen magically by themselves in communities. When you were in school, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, first of all, I uh, uh, I had the naive uh, belief <clears throat> at 5'10 and 220 pounds I could play uh, football at a high level. And I, I clearly found out at Towson University in Maryland that that was not going to be a reality in my uh, in my life. So I shifted it. And I really, as I said, I uh, I am still enamored with flight. Uh, I would have loved to have been uh, a pilot, uh, but with these eyes, that was not going to happen uh, with this vision I have. Um, so I just think I shifted my belief after my first trip from Baltimore to San Francisco back in the uh, in the um, 70s with my parents. And I realized that there's this incredible world out there. And I think I was sort of smitten by uh, that first long haul trip. And that has been in my blood ever since. So. What do you love most about traveling? First of all, I think for the most part, it gets most people out of your comfort zone. It um, If you go in with an openness to experience a destination, even if you've been there many times, and I think for those of us travel a lot, I find something new and different every place I travel to, even if I've been there multiple times. Um, I think that, you know, one of my beliefs in what we do is that travel is going to be, is one of the salvation towards bridging a lot of gaps we have in this world. But I do think when people go into a different area and they meet different people, whether it's state to state, whether it's country to country, uh, you're exposed to different cultures that may on occasion take you out of your comfort zone. And I think that being out of our comfort zones allows us to immerse ourselves and um, and uh, lean on other people and, and, and experience things that our day to day lives we don't do. So I believe that every trip I make, no matter whether it's uh, traveling here in the, in the state of Florida or traveling globally. It's uh, something I, it's, it's, I think it's deep in my, my, my roots. One of the things that I catch myself saying quite often is that one thing all travelers have in common is a love for learning. They love to learn and, and learn about new foods, new places, new people, music, culture, art. Um, what's something that you would like to learn in the, next chapter of your life? 
You know, I, I just had a recent experience that was probably uh, similar to what you just described. And, you know, I've read all these years, I had never been to the Middle East. And a lot of people were surprised that with this organization, uh, I hadn't done that or my previous jobs, but I hadn't. I had not been to Saudi Arabia, not been to the Middle East. And I had a privilege and an opportunity through WTTC with their convention at the end of the year to go in the Riyadh. And whatever you had read, whatever your perception was about what Saudi Arabia was going to be, it was 180 degrees different. I realized there are issues that they're, they need to address and they are addressing. But to be in a culture that I probably didn't think at this stage in my life that I would be able to experience and, and meet the people. And, and we were in Riyadh uh, for three days, and then we had a chance to go to Alula, which mm-hmm. is a new destination being developed by the Saudi government. And uh, ironically, Philip Jones, who used to run Dallas, is actually the person building that destination. And this is a destination, Steve, that's 2,500 years old, that up until four years ago, no one went there. And, and to, to see that part of the world and the genuine desire of the people there to welcome you to their community. And I saw a welcoming spirit in, in Riyadh that was real. Uh, again, I looked at it from my hotel days. And, and, and again, you know, from an education standpoint, I continue to believe, and we talk about it all the time, you know, travel is the only thing that's going to allow you to do that. You can't do it in a book. You can't do it in a movie. You have to experience it. And if you do allow yourself to be immersed into that culture, as different as it may be to your norm, then I tell you, come away as a changed person. And I, I really, to some degree, believe that, that I now have a belief, very limited understanding, but I have an understanding of part of the world now that I only read about in books before or from others. So that's that learning you just talked about. It's interesting that you mentioned that destination. Uh, we're actually partners in teaching English for tourism there. So... Uh, I've learned a lot about that area myself over the last year or so, and it really does seem like it's a, a fascinating part of the world. It is. And, and what, what also fascinates me is, you know, we have a we have a pretty strong presence uh, in North America between our U.S. and Canadian and, and Mexican and Latin partners. And there is a desire for many of the destinations in Saudi Arabia and throughout the Middle East to want to have greater connectivity from one destination to another. And, and there's where I think some of the synergies where you learn best practices. And um, again, you can't do it without being with people and understanding their cultures and what their desires are. So I, uh, I, I look at that as probably my most recent aha moment and uh, feel, felt exceptionally blessed to be there. Who have you learned the most from? You know, I got to tell you, I, I've learned a lot in the last seven years here at DI. Uh, I, I've, I've had the good fortune over the years to be around great presidents and CEOs of hotel companies and airline companies. Um, I always had the good fortune of being around people that, regardless of the position, this is the one thing I realize at my age in life right now, no matter where you are, somebody believed in you to get you to that job, whether it's from a manager to a director, a director to a VP, somebody believed in you and your ability. So I, I think I've learned from a lot of people, but in all honesty, I've learned so much in the last seven years here at DI because when I got here, things were in a bit of disarray. And I realized that there were people, so many people at the destination level and the partner partner level that believe so genuinely in this institution of destination organizations and the work they do being vital. 
there were a group of people that stepped up in our board positions and our committees and our partners that literally said, we're not going to let you fail. And, and I think I've learned um, that when you have the privilege to do what we do and to do what I do every day, you got a whole cast of people you can lean on. And if you allow yourself to learn, I don't care whether it's one of the people that are your 30 under 30s, um, but if you allow yourself to have an open mind going in. So I, I've been blessed to have a lot. I would probably have, I've learned the most from my wife. And, uh, and, I, and I mean, she is uh, the rock in our family. And when things get a little bit of out of kilter with me, uh, clearly she's the one who uh, sort of conveys that information to me. You mentioned just before we started recording that you have a few kids. We have four daughters. How are they most like you? You know, it's funny. I think that uh, they're most like me in the fact that, uh, you know, we move them a lot. And some moves were probably, I look back and they were unnecessary and we disrupt, I disrupted their lives. But I think along the way, you know, they, they became incredibly, and they're in their mid thirties and, and late twenties now, uh, they become incredibly independent people. And I'm proud they can walk into any room and feel comfortable where they are. They can talk to anyone. I think they had the good fortune of, of living in hotels and doing things like that, where they understood the, the, the privilege that they had. And um, I, I believe it just made them really grounded human beings. And, and by the way, they're, they're comfortable traveling. They get uncomfortable when they don't travel. And, um, and I think they've become global citizens. And uh, I'm proud of the fact that they also, when they travel, uh, I watch them interact with service people and I'm just proud of what they become, but they also are explorers and uh, they get a little antsy. So I'm just exceptionally proud of them, what they've, and that doesn't always happen to a lot of people, you know, and that, that allows them to have to be uh, pretty grounded in themselves and to learn new friends and different cultures. So uh, that was all part of their upbringing, but I think it's made them exceptionally strong human beings. What is something that you take with you everywhere you go? It's always in your travel bag. Oh, that's a great. Uh, other than my headphones, I uh, I got multiple sets of headphones. I'm uh, if I wasn't doing this and I had any music talent at all, uh, Steve, I would be probably. Uh, uh, you'll see music thing around. That's. that's that was supposed to be Coldplay, but for, for whatever reason, the artist forgot the pain in the other three musicians. So that's Chris Martin behind me. Uh, I would tell you that music is my is my uh, my soul. Uh, I love it. I um, so yeah, you're you're gonna find in my briefcase or whatever there. There's three sets of headphones in there. <laughs> uh, what what piece of advice? would you give to somebody who's just starting out in their career? I, I would say, number one, look, look, at every, look at every opportunity. And the one thing I've noticed, particularly when we talk with our 30 under 30 classes, and I've ha now had the privilege of having seven of those. And the one thing that, that I, I have seen that is maybe a little bit different from my generation, and that is a lot of times if we didn't necessarily feel as though the company culture was right, we sort of just gutted it out. And we just inevitably it caught up with us that somehow it didn't match our value system. It didn't match our, our what, where we saw ourselves. And what I'm saying to people now is that, number one, they do an incredible amount of homework in advance of opportunities. And I do applaud that. But if for some reason your homework 
really at the end of the day puts you in an environment that you clearly in your heart and your soul know that it's not right for you, cut your losses soon. Cut your losses soon. But to, to the contrary, if you are in a company that has given you an opportunity, uh, take full advantage of every position you're in. Prove yourself. You know, bring a work ethic um, that I think a lot of people do. And, uh, and, I, and I find it pretty cool now with all of our partners, we have many, when, when they bring in a person out of college or let's say somebody uh, not too far out of college or, or school, the opportunities are, are just incredible when they bring that. And I think enthusiasm and I think some basic, um, you know, uh, manners, uh, thank yous and appreciation for the opportunities. They may sound pretty basic, but um, I think they're very important. What's a piece Steve, of advice you've got? Steve, if I could add one final thing, and that would be, sure. don't if you're going to be in this industry, for the most part, be open to possibly relocation. If you're a hotelier, for the most part, if you're going to progress out of your job in your city, most likely you're going to look at opportunities that would require moving. I think we're a little less with the opportunity to have to move is there. But if you really want upward mobility and the chance to to maybe career path faster than maybe some destinations can give you, do be prepared to potentially look at opportunities outside of your market. So you mentioned company culture as being something that's even more important now, I think, to, to young professionals. Um, how would you describe the culture that you wish to cultivate at DI? You know, I think that first of all, if you if you go back to to who you are and you are genuine and authentic, and and what you see is what you get. Um, I I I I don't think I've ever been that person that shows up at the office that is this Don Welsh, and the person who shows up at home that person. So right, wrong, or different. Uh, I think if you bring a genuine passion to understanding that every person in your organization, whether they are entry level or whether they are your senior teammates. Um, they should all be respected, uh, treated with respect and and be the very best you can be for them, whether you're their direct manager. And I think we at DI right now, we've we've created a culture. It's taking you know a few years to get there. But we also, I think it'd become better when we embrace the um, EDI uh, commitment on behalf of the industry uh, five years ago. And I applaud Melissa Cherry, who did a lot of that work. And uh, we now have a full-time chief diversity officer who works with our industry partners to make sure that EDI and everything it stands for um, is alive and well in our 650 destination partners. And it's something that every day we get after it. But more importantly, we make sure we practice that internally. And that looks at the way we hire people. That looks at the the way we run our meetings. And not that we're perfect, but we, we sort of bring it back to the basics. Because with a small team running a global organization now, there, there is every position so critically important, and uh, we just need to make sure that people are feeling valued, respected, and um, and compensated to the best of our ability to do that for the respective positions. And if we create that nucleus where there is one of comfort, it's amazing watching what uh, this team is doing on behalf of the industry. What do you do in your spare time? You know, I, um, I I I wish I had a bunch of hobbies. I I don't. I'm going to create one. My wife actually um, brought back a guitar for me that that has gone to multiple houses, and now it's back here. And she said, "You know, you're going to learn how to play that guitar between now and the end of the year." And I'll I'll make that commitment to do that because I love music. 
Uh, you know, I try to stay as healthy as I can because of the uh, the time on the road that we talked about. And uh, and I um, I would probably have to say that my spare time is uh, is uh, enjoying some of the great recipes I've learned from around the world. Uh, and and really, um, yeah, music music is is clearly where I spend a lot of time. Um, both trying to see live music, and uh, if I can't be there live, I'm listening. What did I not ask that you wish I did? Maybe what? Um, maybe if you sort of said, "What was your biggest? What was your biggest failure? What did you learn?" <laughs> okay, so what was it? You know, probably my biggest failure was I had an opportunity, and I, uh, I. I Isaiah Thomas, the famous basketball player, was a was a friend of mine um, because when I was at Weston and Ritz Carlton, Isaiah was in our ads, and we were we became good close personal friends. And I had uh, I was working at um, MGM and um, in Las Vegas, and Isaiah had bought the minor league of the NBA, uh, which was the uh, the CBA, and we had the big vision of creating this uh, what would become the NBA Development League. And, uh, and I had the privilege of joining him um, to become the president and chief marketing officer. Well, he would be the chairman and CEO, and we were going to build this under the premise that uh, it would eventually become the minor league for the NBA. And I, I left employment, moved my family to Baltimore, where we're going to base the league. And, and, I, and, and, and I really was excited about it. But I, I learned at that time, Steve, that unless somebody is really, really committed to what they bought and what they were going to develop, uh, it wasn't going to happen. And I, and I think I learned a, a really valuable, important, uh, life-changing lesson uh, with four daughters and, and, and not achieving what we set out to. To be honest with you, I was left with having to deal with a chapter seven with uh, nine teams and players and coaches and front office. And I, and I learned a lot about the, you know, the, um, uh, about that unless there's commitment from the top down, particularly the top, and what you want to be, uh, it was it was just a harsh lesson on the reality. So that, believe it or not, though, that tough situation allowed me to, believe it or not, get in this industry. And it was a catapult to um, somebody said, hey, I understand that thing with Isaiah didn't work out too well. Uh, hey, why don't you come out? And believe it or not, the first call I got was Roger Helms with Helms Briscoe. And um, it was my landing spot, which then allowed me to get to uh, this industry with a guy named Mark Pujolet, who I'd worked for years ago at Weston in Seattle. So life does revolve around. And I think it taught me a valuable lesson that no matter where you are in the in the pecking order, if somewhere you're, uh, you've been a decent person along the way, when things go great, perfect. But if things don't necessarily go great and they didn't go well for me and my family, then um, somehow um, opportunities presented themselves. So I'll be ever, forever grateful because had that not happened, um, you never know. And how would you like others to describe you? You know, I think um, passionate for what I do. Um, I'm I am so blessed to do what I do. It's far beyond uh, my academic background. Uh, I, I I just feel so fortunate to be around great people that have the same type of enthusiasm and passion that that I have. I've been blessed to run great teams over the years. Um, I'd like for people to look back on me and say, you know what, he's real, he's authentic. And no matter where he was, he brought it every day to try to make it a little bit better. 
either for the destination or for the team. And I try to live by that mantra. And sometimes, uh, you know, we, we exceed and sometimes we have an opportunity to, to do better every day. And last question, is there anything you'd like to ask me? Yeah. Um, tell me about your, uh, is, is your current situation by being in that beautiful mobile home, is that something that you see uh, an end in sight? Or is this going to be, am I going to be talking to you, um, you know, this summer from uh, Alaska when you're, you know, parked in Denali? <laughs> so uh, my mother asks me that question every week. Um, I I can see myself having a, a, a pied a terre somewhere, um, but I, I enjoy traveling. You know, and working in this business for as long as I have, you get to meet people all over who become friends um, and an extension of your family. And this has really given me an opportunity to um, to spend time with people who matter most. And, you know, I, I don't see myself necessarily in a van sized vehicle for very long, <laughs> but, um, you know, I. I, I don't see myself full-time in any one place either. I think you're living a dream a lot of us want, so I applaud your uh, your nomad approach towards uh, business and uh, and life. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that response. Well, if you need to display a van at the conference coming up this summer, I, I'm happy to drive into the convention center. You should be down in Dallas. You should be down in Dallas. I will be. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll put it out front, the Omni. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, Steve. Thank you for having if me folks want, for the conversation. If folks want to learn more about DI or or the work that you and your team do, destinationsinternational.org. And, uh, you know, whether you're on the destination side or whether you're on uh, the business side where you potentially have an interest to connect with destinations, both uh, small and large, uh, we're a pretty good conduit for you there. Great. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks, Steve.